Tegan, I've got a strong feeling that Republican presidential candidates are listening to this podcast. And why is that, Chris? Last week, we went through the litany of sorrow, also known as Republican presidential candidates trying to beat Donald Trump. You singled out Tim Scott as one, if not the one to watch. And now this week, boom, cue the attacks on Tim Scott. If only everybody just listened to Trial Balloon, they'd be in the know, Chris. My takeaway, we ought to be careful what we say. Well, you know, Ron DeSantis uh, wasn't really listening because I think his campaign only got worse this week, not better. So maybe someone needs to cue him into this podcast. You didn't tell him to get in a car crash, overspend his account, fire one third of his staff, and fire someone who had put up a Nazi-like symbol in one of his social media posts? You didn't give all that advice to DeSantis? No, that would not have been my advice. The advice, had he talked to me at the very start of his campaign, I wouldn't have had this situation where he thought that he could have a super PAC run big operations of his campaign, like get out the vote efforts and advertising and things like this, because it's a really interesting article just today about how the super PAC is now fighting with the campaign. And so they're not allowed to actually communicate directly. They're not allowed to talk. The super PAC is saying Ron DeSantis may skip the presidential debate. The campaign is saying Ron DeSantis is going to go to the presidential debate, and yet they can't talk to get on the same page. So they've resorted to leaking memos to the public that get reported on so that they can communicate with their supposed allies. I mean, the whole thing is just a mess. But I'll tell you this, that is no way to run a presidential campaign. They have to float trial balloons to each other? Well done, Chris. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. The other person who will be here all week, but if the House Republicans have their way, maybe not much after that, is Joe Biden, who it may surprise you, is being considered for impeachment by the House Republicans uh, this week in Political Wire. Why McCarthy is warming to impeaching Biden. Speaker Kevin McCarthy in recent weeks has heard similar advice from both a senior House Republican and an influential conservative lawyer, prioritize the impeachment of President Joe Biden over a member of his cabinet, CNN reports. Part of the thinking, according to multiple sources familiar with the internal discussions, is that if House Republicans are going to expend precious resources on the politically tricky task of an impeachment, they might as well go after the highest target as opposed to the Attorney General or Secretary of Homeland Security. And McCarthy, who sources said has also been consulting with former House GOP Speaker Newt Gingrich on the issue, that's a winning hand, that was my <laughs> comment that was not in the CNN piece, has warmed up to an idea that has long been relegated to the fringes of the conference. So I know the answer, but I still have to ask the question, is it impossible for House Republicans to be serious people? Boy, that is certainly a great question. And they are putting their own caucus at tremendous risk right now. But I think the best response was when Joe Biden himself was asked, what do you think about Kevin McCarthy raising the idea of beginning an impeachment inquiry? Joe Biden just gave that trademark smile and he chuckled, literally chuckled out loud because he knows from the Democrats perspective, I mean, the Republicans are just making it harder and harder for themselves every day. Just look at what's happening in the House. The House cannot agree on passing various spending bills right now. It looks highly likely. And in fact, many members of the Freedom Caucus are actually talking about moving towards enforcing a government shutdown in October. Now they're talking about impeaching Biden. There's a really good story about how Republican senators who obviously, as you know, Chris, would have to hold a trial if Biden was impeached. 
they don't want any part of this. The Senate Republicans see the 2024 Senate map as looking favorable to them. And all of a sudden, they're like, we're going to be forced to hold an impeachment trial for a president who, by all accounts, has done nothing wrong at this point with the exception of some very questionable whistleblowers before the House Oversight Committee. I mean, Democrats are looking at this and they're probably all chuckling like Joe Biden did the other night. But to my question, I mean, about being serious people, is the pressure so hard from the right? And is this just purely a Freedom Caucus effort that Kevin McCarthy, that other House Republicans, do they simply have no choice? And is there any actual benefit I understand there's benefit to it if that's what you need to do to get reelected. I guess that's the benefit. It's so unserious. And I guess that's where I am. And I know you know that it's come up a, a great deal in some of our conversations and texts over the last week. I'm getting more and more fatigued with the lack of seriousness. They're not serious. This is what happens when you have a caucus anywhere between 20 and 30 who are literally on the fringe right of the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy has only a five-vote margin for his majority. Democrats are not going to help him on any of this stuff unless it's really critical at some point. But right now, the Democrats are just sitting back and watching McCarthy try to deal with his caucus. And when you've got 20 or 30 Republicans who want to impeach Joe Biden, they want to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary. They want to impeach the Attorney General. But now, as you said in that article, you know now they're saying, well, if we're going to impeach somebody, let's impeach the president. Without looking at what happens, I mean, that, that may be satisfying, I guess, if you're one of those couple dozen Republicans to vote to impeach Joe Biden, perhaps that's satisfying. But the reality is that goes nowhere. Republicans don't even have a majority in the U.S. Senate. That's what I mean. It's so unserious. It goes nowhere. It doesn't lead to anything. I, I can understand, I mean, I'd agree with, but I can understand taking extreme actions that lead to extreme results. If that's your goal, that's what you're after. I just don't understand doing things. I mean, I do understand it. I know. I know it's silly of me and I know it's a bit naive. I mean, I, I know why they're doing it. That's the pressure. That's how the numbers are working out. And that's the pressure that the Freedom Caucus members who have to worry about getting reelected, that's what they feel they have to do. But it just all adds up to this wasteland of activity. And I'm feeling simultaneously naive, but also just kind of increasingly fatigued with that lack of seriousness. Okay. So let's say you want to impeach Joe Biden. What are you impeaching him for? I mean, there has literally been nothing proven, no wrongdoings proven. You know, you've got Republicans who appear almost nightly on Fox News accusing the Biden family of taking massive bribes. There's not a scintilla of evidence for any of this, yet they're just marching forward. So yeah, that's the definition of an unserious party. Really funny that at the same time that McCarthy is turning to Newt Gingrich for advice, you point out that uh, the House Republicans are thinking seriously about a government shutdown in October. They might want to ask Newt how that went for him. No, yeah. exactly. It's kind of remarkable that anybody would listen to Newt Gingrich for advice. Newt Gingrich is like a moderate in this Republican Party at this point in this Republican House. The number of people on the hard right are extraordinary and they have all the power. I mean, without them, Kevin McCarthy knows he would not be speaker. So he's essentially caving to the demands of a couple dozen people on the fringe right in order to manage the House. And there's really nothing he can do if he wants to keep his job. And if you're Kevin McCarthy, apparently that's all you want to do is try to keep your job regardless of what you do. 
Paul Ryan said, enough, I'm done with this. John Boehner said, enough, I'm done with this. But Kevin McCarthy, he wants that job, so he's sticking with it. What do you make of the Freedom Caucus kicking Marjorie Taylor Greene out? Well, did they or didn't they, right? (laughs) When Marjorie Taylor Greene refuses to acknowledge that she's been kicked out and the Freedom Caucus is secretive about who's even a member of the Freedom Caucus, do we really know that she's been kicked out? I mean, there was a fantastic article that, you know, everyone has assumed that Matt Gates is a member of the Freedom Caucus, the far right congressman from Florida. Apparently, he's not even a member of the Freedom Caucus. So I guess we don't really even know who's in the caucus. We know that Scott Perry is the chairman of the caucus, but we're not so sure of the others. The Freedom Caucus also extends beyond the Freedom Caucus. Like I said, Matt Gates is not part of it. Marjorie Taylor Greene, even if she's not part of the Freedom Caucus, doesn't mean that she doesn't support many of the things that the Freedom Caucus does. So maybe it's more than two dozen, maybe it's three dozen members of the Republican Caucus that are to the far right at this point. But in any event, they're the ones in charge. She's like the opposite of Groucho Marx. He wouldn't want to belong to any club that would have him as a member. She wants to belong to a club that wouldn't have her as a member. (laughs) apparently. She's now on the inner circle with Kevin McCarthy and she likes, she's tasted power, so to speak. And Kevin McCarthy has said, I'd do anything for that woman because she stood by him during his just amazing 15 rounds of voting to become speaker in the first place. So I guess she likes walking into the speaker's office anytime she wants. There's an example, by the way, she made a bet. She did make a strategic political bet on those 15 rounds She stood there with McCarthy. She did not back away. And that's paid off for her. Well, she's at least invited into the speaker's chambers. So that's true. I wouldn't necessarily agree entirely with your characterization because I still think members of the Freedom Caucus are running the show here. It's not Kevin Mm -hmm. McCarthy. So she might be in the speaker's office thinking she's making decisions. But at the end of the day, the Freedom Caucus seems to still have most of the power because if they deny McCarthy those five votes, McCarthy has to do what they want anyway. So maybe she gets more invites to dinners. You know, I'm not sure she has any more power. Okay. She gets the comfy chairs, but not the power seat. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. What if we turn from impeaching Biden to electing Biden or reelecting Biden? And I say that because of uh, something you wrote on Tuesday, the numbers move in Biden's direction. You wrote, here's what I wrote back in April. And you quote yourself, which is really something of a habit of yours. Only when I'm right, Chris. Only when I'm right. Okay, well, fine. So this was back in April. We're end of July now. So once every three months, that feels about right. Under normal circumstances, you wrote back in April, President Biden should be vulnerable in his anticipated re-election bid. Take your pick of his major weaknesses, inflation, low approval rates, immigration, crime, and of course, his age. What a difference three months makes, you wrote this week. The country is making real progress in the areas where Biden has been most vulnerable. Consider the following. Inflation is retreating and consumer sentiment is the highest it's been in two years. Illegal border crossings dropped to the lowest level in over two years under Biden's more restrictive asylum rules. Violent crime rates, including murder, are down across the board. Despite the good news, Biden's approval rate hasn't budged. That's certainly curious, but perhaps explainable. And well, none of us, including Biden, are getting any younger. But the broad case that Republicans were building against Biden just a few months ago suddenly doesn't look so good. So which is it, my man? Is he going to get impeached or reelected? 
I think there's a reason why Biden chuckled again when asked about the prospect of being impeached, because things really are moving in his direction. Now, of those items that I mentioned on the illegal border crossings in you know, Biden's more restrictive asylum rules, just after I wrote that piece, actually, a federal judge blocked those new rules, and they're due to expire now in about two weeks. So we'll see if the migrant crossings at the border increase as a result of that, in that immigration and migrants at the border become a much bigger problem for Biden in the coming months. But right now, all of those things that were his vulnerabilities seem to have moved in his direction. And the other part, you know, an election is not just about one candidate, it's about at least two. And the other choices of those candidates, as we talk about the Republican side, when it looks like it's going to be Donald Trump as the nominee, and you'd really be a fool to bet against him right now as the nominee, he just becomes a weaker and weaker general election candidate as you go. The case can be made that he's a stronger candidate for the Republican nomination, but every step he takes to secure that nomination makes him weaker in a general election. So again, that Biden smile, you might be seeing a lot of that over the coming weeks. Do you see any movement coming with his approval rating? It is a curious thing when things are moving in the right direction, particularly the economy, you know, when inflation is retreating and consumer sentiment is up. I mean, you talk about the employment numbers, unemployment among black Americans at an all-time low, employment among women at an all-time high. The unemployment rate itself is about, I think it's about 3.6% right now, which again, historic lows, 60, 65-year lows for the unemployment rate. One would think that Biden's approval rate would be higher than it is. It's in the low 40s right now. One of the reasons for that is because we live in a very polarized country. Almost all Republicans, just by definition, don't approve of Joe Biden right now. The reverse is true, is that most Democrats do approve of Joe Biden. The reason that I don't think it's something that Democrats are going to worry about is there may be some sort of polling anomaly going on here, because remember that Biden's approval rate was at the same level during the 2022 midterms, and Democrats did far better than expected. And that's one of these things that was not expected if you look at the forecasters from 538, particularly, you know, the president's approval rating in a midterm election is pretty important in terms of predicting what's going to happen. Democrats did far better than expected. And the other thing to keep in mind is that at this point in the election cycle, Bill Clinton's approval rate was only 42% in 1995. Barack Obama had an approval rate of 44% in 2011. And both of them were reelected handily, as you can recall. It's one of these things where I don't think the White House is paying too much attention to it because those numbers really are going in Biden's direction right now. Your discussion about polling numbers and about the, let's call it disaggregation between numbers and then the results, maybe there was a closer connection previously. I am wondering, maybe there have been studies on this already, and if not, maybe we'll look into this a little bit. It's certainly something for us to keep an eye on and, and talk about. Does polling tell us even less than it has historically? Historically, and, and I know you know this, polling actually has not been terrible. And people point out, oh, wait, but you know, 2016 and Hillary Clinton was supposed to win. The polling actually wasn't that off on that election. I know you know that. And I just wonder if there's this disconnect that you talk about where ask me in a poll, whom do I support? And don't tell me their name. Tell me the letter at the end of their name. Is it a D or an R? And then I'll tell you whether I support them. 
However, when it comes time to actually voting, and if there's crazy stuff being said, I guess you could say from whichever party, but if there's crazy stuff, I'm not so into the crazy stuff, most voters are saying, and I'm going to vote against that. Do polling numbers mean less than they did historically? Polling works best when you've got candidate A against candidate B, or as you said, candidate D against candidate R. That's probably the best way. When you're picking an actual candidate versus another actual candidate, it's pretty clear to decide most voters can choose between those two. You know, it gets a little bit tougher when you choose generic candidates. And we know that polling of policy issues such as crime or immigration or even inflation and economic things, the polling gets a little bit less predictive. And that's not because of the poll necessarily, but it's because of the wording of the questions. Mm -hmm. And so the wording of the questions matters a lot. But when it comes to approval rates and it comes to Biden's approval rating, probably the overarching thing right now is that no national politician has good approval ratings right now. And that's due to a lot of other things that are going on. This is a, a country that really was embarrassing during the pandemic, three years of a pandemic, and the country as a whole did not handle that very well. Partisanship just continued to grow. You know, there's more fighting, more political fighting. There's more racism that it's supposedly okay to express yourself right now. Things seem kind of like a mess in our society. And so while the economy is certainly doing better and the economy is much stronger than other Western economies, I think most people look at the country and they're like, yeah, when you look at the right track, wrong track numbers, the vast majority of Americans in both parties think the country's on the wrong track. And I think that's spilling over in these approval ratings with national politicians. So it doesn't matter if you're Joe Biden or if you're Mitt Romney or if you're Donald Trump, a lot of those are washing off on these politicians because they are seen as national leaders. That's what I think it's probably behind the approval rates not necessarily being reflective. But like I said, I do not think that the White House is fretting it too much. I think that they're just happy with where these other numbers are going because those are real numbers. You know, Those are numbers when inflation is down and you're at the grocery store. That's something that people will start over the coming months, start to pay attention to. And when you're no longer worried about getting on the subway because crime is going down and, and violent crime is going down, you know, that changes your outlook on things. So we'll see. Again, it's only been three months since, you know, I first pointed out those vulnerabilities of Biden, but they're certainly, the numbers are moving in his direction. Those were such a great set of points. I couldn't agree more. With so many things that are going on, it would be hard to look at all of that and be like, yeah, you know, I feel so excited about the current state of affairs. And, you know, I think we're top ticking it. Things couldn't possibly be better than they are right now. And that has to negatively impact approval ratings across the board. Maybe it also goes back, it aligns with what I was saying earlier about the lack of seriousness. I mean, unfortunately, it's very hard to look at so much of what's going on in public policy right now and think that, yeah, you know, well, I disagree with it, but these are serious people discussing serious issues and trying to find serious solutions. There's just that dearth of seriousness. The pandemic is over. People are doing things that they used to do. And we're not really living under the threat of this pandemic like we were for so long, but it's still impacting everyone's life. And this is something I know you and I have talked about before, but basic things that you try to do 
let's say your refrigerator breaks and you need a new refrigerator. Do you know it's still taking a very long time to get that new refrigerator? And by the way, finding somebody who may have the refrigerator that you need to replace the one that's broken, all of that stuff is hard. While the supply chains are getting better, so much of our society seems to not work as well as it used to. And some of this is this move to remote work where all of a sudden companies think that they're doing the same job as they used to, but a third of their employees are remote and the rest are in the office and they're trying to figure this stuff out. I just find that in my everyday life, so much doesn't seem to work very well. That is certainly not Joe Biden's fault, but it doesn't make you feel good about the direction of the country when those types of things just don't work. You know, our society should be better. We should be better than this. So some of that is washing over on Biden. But like I said, it's washing over on all national politicians right now. Nobody's really pleased with the direction of the country in general. I guess you're advocating the best slogan would be, I'll make government work like the DMV. <laughs> when, that, when that is a slogan, we know that things have changed, yes. Things are changing. A person for whom things changed this week as well was Tim Scott. Why does nearly every Republican presidential candidate dislike Tim Scott now? Politico reported this week, Tim Scott's rivals sharpened their knives. In recent days, super PACs associated with DeSantis and Nikki Haley have singled out Scott for criticism. Operatives in multiple campaigns, were told, are beefing up their oppo files on the senator and some briefed playbook, that's Politico playbook, in recent days about the likely lines of attack. Quote, he's never really had a real challenger in terms of a serious primary or general. So in that sense, he's pretty unvetted, said one ally of a rival candidate. The scrutiny will come. And as well that day, Politico reported, Chris Christie rips Tim Scott in New Hampshire. Christie accused the South Carolina senator of pandering to Trump supporters. Chris Christie has a new target, Tim Scott. Why is everyone hating on Tim Scott? Well, you'd see, if you look at the Republican race, Donald Trump's numbers have only gone up as he's been indicted twice, facing, what is it, over 70 criminal charges at this point, with more supposedly to come. Nikki Haley has been running for president for five months. Her polls have literally gone nowhere. Ron DeSantis, who presumably was the number two candidate, his polls have now slipped. And in some states, all of a sudden, Tim Scott is ahead of him. Chris Christie has no support whatsoever in the Republican Party. He's running more as a candidate trying to take out Donald Trump. But of course, Donald Trump is not willing to engage with Chris Christie. So Chris Christie's left trying to take down Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott. Tim Scott's the one who's kind of been quietly just doing his thing. But I think that that playbook analysis was really good. He is a guy who's never really run against anybody. He's never had a really tough campaign and who knows what's in his background. So I'm sure that people are digging into that. But once again, it just points to the fact that the biggest challenge for all of these candidates is that every one of them, in order to beat Donald Trump, they need to make this a one-on-one -on -one race with Trump. Otherwise, they're just all going to split the vote and Trump's going to get the nomination. So right now, Tim Scott may see signs of life in his campaign, but as long as Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis are still running, Tim Scott has no chance. Maybe Republican candidates will start listening to Mitt Romney, who this week said it might be time for some of the low polling candidates to get out of the race. I'm sure that they're all going to be first to listen to Uncle Mitt and jump out of the race, don't you? Well, the thing about Romney's op-ed, it's a valid point, but he said that there needs to be a decision after the first four states. The Republicans need to coalesce around an anti-Trump conservative to run against him. 
I think after the first four states, that's too late. <laughs> I think they need to coalesce around somebody before these contests even start at this point, or else they're going to have no chance because you could easily see a situation where Donald Trump wins three or four out of the first four states. And then, of course, none of the candidates have any chance at all, regardless. Or you could see a situation where maybe Trump wins two and the other two states are won by two separate candidates. And, and there's going to be no consensus there. So I think Mitt Romney is right in his general point. I think it'll be too late if they let the voting even start without coalescing around a candidate. And, you know, the reality is, is that the egos involved here with these candidates, it's just not going to allow it. So as long as there are multiple people running against Trump, Trump is in the driver's seat. Understood. And with that, I'm going to let you go with one particular goal, which is to give you just a little extra time to get to the movie theater yourself so that we can please have a discussion about Oppenheimer. I know, Chris. I had intended actually to try to see it before we recorded the podcast. No spoilers here. I am going to see Oppenheimer. You know something? I actually probably am going to see Barbie as well. That's actually gotten pretty decent reviews and is seemingly doing well. But I will not do it as one of my sons did, which was see them both on one night. I could not imagine sitting in a movie theater for five plus hours, but I've heard they're both worth it. No Barbenheimer for you, but you'll get to Oppenheimer and we'll get to discuss it. See you at the movie, Stegen. Next time, Chris. Bye.